Hey, everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 30. What's going on, Neil? Ooh, we hit the big 3-0? Yeah, the big 3-0. <laughs> nice. Good guest for the big 30, <laughs> too, man. Yeah, it's going to be a good episode tonight. Got a great guest, Shadwick Wild. Thanks for having me. Glad we could get you on. Hell yeah. And Neil, we are, while we're talking to Shadwick tonight, we are going to be having Michter's Small Batch Sour Mash. Ooh. You went fancy. Small batch sour mash. Say That's that. Tough. No, uh-uh. I ain't saying that. <laughs> Shadwick, we wish you were in the studio with us, but we'll cheers to you anyway. Cheers. Cheers, man. Yeah, I feel like I'm there in in spirit, and that's a pun. So you are. are. <laughs> <laughs> went right over my head. That's I did too. One. I'm glad you. I'm glad you pointed that out, man. <laughs> I've been told that puns are the lowest form of humor, but I am a dad, so I'm I'm restricted in that way. So. So we're loud, right? Yeah, dude. Good. <laughs> I got a. I, I had a no laugh pun right before I left th- to come here, but I don't even remember what it was. It was so bad. So how old are your kids? Because they'll uh, they'll laugh at those puns while they're young. <laughs> I got one. She's five, and and she is uh, a very generous audience when it comes to the puns. <laughs> sure. There you go. She'll she'll like those dad jokes for a while. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got a couple of years at least. <laughs> Why don't you start off for us and for our listeners, just go back to uh, where you were first introduced to music or where you first realized music was going to be an important part of your life. Man, well, you know, I, I've always been really drawn to music ever since I was three three years old, ever since I could walk around and, and discover things. And I grew up with my, my mom and she would play a lot of records around the house. And so early on, uh, I was listening to the clash and Bruce Springsteen and Fleetwood Mac and some, some records like that. And so that was, that was my earliest exposure. And, and I remember, uh, I was always, always had a, an itch to perform music. That was always something that seemed really interesting to me because of the, the relationship between the performer and the audience and, and the kind of magic that can, can happen mm-hmm. sometimes during those moments. And, and so my first concert was, uh, was Alan Jackson actually on <laughs> the, uh, lot about living little about love tour. <laughs> All right. And, uh, I was, I was big in, into that particular Alan Jackson fan as a child. I think I was, pr- I was probably seven years old at the time. No kidding. Yeah, Alan Jackson. Uh, I also went and saw the Gypsy Kings. Now I grew up in San Francisco, so these concerts were at the Shoreline Amphitheater, which is okay. a great outdoor uh, concert venue that has the seats in the front and the grass awesome. in the back, kind of like Iroquois Amphitheater, okay. just a bit bigger. So I kind of we grew up uh, going to concerts there and seeing. You know, there was always very diverse, uh, different kinds of music. So was it was this with your mom? Your mom was taking you to these? Yeah, yeah. She's she's always been. Uh, so supportive of my music and was really in, instrumental, uh, another pun, <laughs> if you will, in, uh, in my, my being steeped in the kind of musical history that I grew up with. And, and, you know, she was always very supportive when it came time to, to try to make me go to lessons, which I, I never really wanted to do, but did go to a few of them as a kid. Oh, I've got questions about that, but let me ask a question, this one first. So Alan Jackson uh, you know, you're being drawn to the performance of, of music, especially Alan Jackson, although he is phenomenal and he sounds like the record, he's amazing. He doesn't do a lot on stage. He reminds me more of like the George Strait and, you know, just stand and deliver really, really good songs. Did anything not bore you as a seven-year-old, but did it did uh, go into maybe something the next time and seeing something a little bit livelier or different change your perspective on the actual performance of music yeah i think it 
And you know, with those shows at a, at a large venue like that, and you have a performer like Alan Jackson, who's maybe a bit more stoic, mm. like like you were saying, you know, there's a lot that's lost in, in shows of those size, you know. And I would be back, mm. of course, in the in the grass behind all the seats. And so where I was from, I was mostly watching watching the simulcast on the street <laughs> yeah. on the screens next to the stage because that was the only way I could really see what was going on. But when I was, I guess when I discovered punk rock and like small intimate venues and all the, uh, all the energy of those places was, was when I sort of, when I sort of started being more aware of, of performers and, and the kind of performance that I like maybe wanted to try and do someday. Mm. So, I mean, I had Alan Jackson and I also had punk bands like, like rancid or, or no effects that I would go and see. And I would, I would go to the warp tour as well as a, as a teenager and see all those bands. So it's huge range of influence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, all kinds of stuff. And when part of my, my growing up was, uh, was in the San Francisco Bay area where there's a, a club called nine, two, four Gilman that, that has been there since the eighties. So I would go to shows there and, and bottom of the hill and places like that as well. Once I started getting a little older and doing things on my own. When did you start playing yourself? Well, you know, I wanted, I always wanted to have a band and be in a band. And, uh, you know, I was in seventh or eighth grade. I found my, or my mom found another mom across town whose kid played the drums. So I went and hung out and, in his basement in in North Beach in San Francisco, and uh, and we jammed basically just uh, formless improvisational metal influenced jamming, I would say, <laughs> and uh, and then I did some some sort of uh, punk rock cover stuff in in high school in in freshman and and sophomore year. By the time I was a senior in high school, I had been recruited to play guitar in this uh this hardcore band called iron cross that was on the discord label back in the 80s um out of dc and so these guys were Mm. much older than me but they uh they were like yeah come come play guitar in our band we think you're really good and they had seen a a a local band of mine play a a road show with them and they invited me to come audition i was like yeah of course because these were guys that i had admired their music and been like oh they're like a legit band that has songs and (laughs) They said, come play guitar for us. And that was that. I quit school and went on the road and did that for a while. So you must have become pretty proficient fairly quickly. I don't think I would say that. No, I, okay. I think uh, I had, I think what I had was energy and youthful exuberance. And <laughs> the, I think one of the reasons why I was really drawn to playing punk music is because it was really the most accessible style of music that I could like, that I could basically walk in and play because, uh, you know, it's mostly power chords and, and like pretty simple progressions and not a lot of, not a lot else, (laughs) you know, it's more about, it's more about the attitude and that you play it with and the attitude of the performance than it is about necessarily the, the musical technical prowess. Although, although I, I, I will admit that, even at the level that I was at, I was maybe better than most of the guys that were lining up to audition for bands like this. So I may, I, maybe I'll take credit. I'm slightly better than your your average punk rock. Yeah, I, I, I would think you'd have to be to well, have somebody notice you at that level that quickly and young. It's it's for for me like you, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but you talked about getting some lessons and stuff. But you know, man, I've watched the videos you play. You don't play the guitar like a traditional guitar player. You're upside down. The strings are not changed, if I'm correct, if I'm seeing it right. So you basically take a You're correct. normal guitar, flip it around, and play it as it is without doing anything. So how in the world did any could anybody teach you that, number one? Um he has to strum everything in reverse. No, well, I mean, it's just the, the everything is amazing, the picking, yeah, and the, it, but it's so coordinated and backwards for somebody like me that that watches you know you are like a baby face perform and go that doesn't even make sense like how do you think like that how do you do it and and how in the world did you learn 
to play guitar like that, especially if you had somebody that was trying to teach you anything. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So when you, I don't, I don't know if you told us. So when you were taking lessons, was it on guitar and someone was letting you learn this way? No, actually, the first music lessons that I took were on piano. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I was you were learning notes, and I was learning kind of some really light theory, and I was learning just really simple stuff. And it was kind of boring for me because I play I play by ear, and I was being taught to read music, which was very challenging for me because because I didn't want to. <laughs> and I didn't really want to. I didn't really want to practice the stuff they wanted me to practice. So I was. I mean, I learned a little bit, but I think ultimately I really limited myself because I was very stubborn. And I was like, I, I'm going to I'm gonna play what I want to play. I can pick out a melody if I want to play a specific song. So why would I learn Mary Had a Little Lamb, you know, well, when I could, <laughs> you know, could be doing yeah. more exciting things. So that didn't work. And, and then I guess uh, I never had guitar lessons, but I had friends that played guitar. And I remember when I was... I had found my my mom's old classical guitar in the basement and I'd start, sort of started just me, like messing around with it. And then I remember a few years later, I was 13 years old and a friend of mine showed me how to make a power chord on a guitar. And I was like, oh. Upside down though, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, you look at a power chord, you're holding down a root note yeah. and a seventh. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. And then maybe an octave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I can do that upside down the way that I basically, by the time I realized I was doing it wrong, <laughs> it was too late to go back and relearn. So I just tried to adapt. Plus it's cool you know? as hell. It's cooler than shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. I'm not, I'm not the only the only one. And I do keep a running list in my head of other guitar players that play in that style. That's an easy list to keep, man. It's like it's probably eight people. <laughs> I can remember eight people. <laughs> I'm always trying to add, so if, if you know of anybody that could go on that list, Dick Dale uh, is on there, the nor- legendary surf guitarist. Oh, um, really? Elizabeth Cotton, folk singer-songwriter. There's a bunch of blues guys, but I can't remember. There's there's two or three blues guys that play like that. That's, yeah, it's um, so interesting. Of course, there's uh, Morrissey's bass player uh, plays upside-down bass, which I also really play, also play bass. Hmm. Yeah. But we don't have to talk about Morrissey. I think he's canceled. So. <laughs> it's okay. We don't. We'll talk about whatever we. I think I could do the bass upside down. I could see that. I think, but but the guitar is just. I, there's. I mean, eventually I could do the bass upside down. But the guitar, I don't think there's no way. So what's the most difficult chord playing that way? Uh, the most difficult chord that I have figured out yet that I've tried to play, and mind you. I like like simple things, simple chords mm. and simple structures. But I tried for a, a D minor seventh today, and I could not get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me think. So the D minor, the DM seven is not working for me. Oh man! <laughs> well, it's it's. I, I got to say, it's the way you play is beautiful. I've listened to a ton of stuff and watched a ton of videos, and especially, you know, with all the quarantine stuff and doing a lot of solo. I mean, you really. It, it doesn't not doesn't expose you, but it shows you what people are really able to do. And man, it is just awesome to uh, to watch and, and and see the videos that you're doing right now. It's amazing. Thanks, man. It's definitely been keeping me occupied. <laughs> so what happened after uh, what happened after Iron Cross? So while I was playing in Iron Cross, I was also playing in another punk band called Brass Knuckle Boys, and that was out of oh, Lexington. Yeah. <laughs> so I was traveling. I was traveling. Oh, you, are you familiar? No, just the name. Killer name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So you get the idea what kind of bands these were. It was there's a yeah. lot of a lot of uh, machismo and posturing, and you know, uh, especially in Iron Cross, I, I think we we really it was it was we it was a pretty toxic environment. Yeah. You know, especially like me being the young guy, I was literally a teenager and here I'm hanging out with these guys that are in their thirties and forties <laughs> that are, you know, there's a ton of booze, there's drugs, there's, you know, there's, there, there are stabbings and fights at a lot of these shows that we go, we go and play in South <laughs> oh, Texas wow. and like these gangs would show up to the show and, and the police would shut the shows down. And, I mean, it was, it was fucking, it was wild. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. and I was like, super jazzed to be there just like watching with <laughs> eyes wide like what is this world that i have just stepped into you know and like and trying to be a part of it you know and and 
so I don't know, man. I, I, I don't have any regrets because I learned a lot and I, I got to travel. You know, we went and played festivals over in Europe and, and I got to be, to, to be a part of that. And, and it was really cool. And I got to write songs for the group, which was, was neat. Although, you know, I was in the band for five years from ages 18 to 23. And, uh, the only new material that we ever played was, were my songs. And, and that, that was very limited and I wasn't singing them. So I guess, I guess it kind of lost its luster mm. and they got tired of flying me out to Baltimore for rehearsals. So they, uh, they got a local guy and they, they gave me the boot, so to speak. And, and then I was, uh, forced to do my own thing, which is how I kind it's kind of how I, you know, I, I was let go uh, from Iron Cross at 23, which I think might have been also partially because I'd become an adult by that time and I wasn't letting them, like, push me around as mm-hmm. much, you know? Yeah. That was a pretty big deal. I mean, you're, you're talking about playing festivals overseas and uh, being flown into rehearsals. You know, that's not small. It's not the typical 18 yeah. to 23-year-old yeah. experience in a band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I guess, I mean, I never had anything to compare it to, really, but uh, I definitely had a really great time, and I was definitely really jazzed to just be there, and it, it definitely felt, I'm not going to lie, it felt really cool to be walking through an airport with my guitar, you know, this <laughs> this young kid with, like, tattoos and a shaved head, and, like, you know, I'm being flown out to these rehearsals, and yeah, I don't, it was it was a wild time, for sure. So what is your best memory during that time? Definitely my favorite memory with Iron Cross was uh, the Punk and Disorderly Festival 2012 in uh, in Berlin, Germany. The show was in a, a warehouse, a huge open warehouse. And there were like, it was stacked. It was like bands all day long. And a lot of them were really good bands that I liked. And I mean, the German the German culture over there is just like, it's just really next level. People are super dedicated to their tribal subculture you know and uh Hmm. and there was like two thousand kids all dressed to the nines like dancing to this music and it was it was really wild and and (laughs) the kicker was um it was the biggest show i'd ever played and we were going on after the bass city rollers which for one thing (laughs) they had no business being on this bill with all these <laughs> punk and hardcore bands, but they were incredible. They were so good. They were so tight and energetic and they had the plaid and it was like, oh man. And then we had to follow that, which was, uh, I mean, it was great because I think that, I mean, yeah, people, people loved it. There was, it was such a weird mix of things going on, but that, that's my favorite Iron Cross memory. After your uh, fight reference and, and wild things you saw, what was the worst show the worst memory <laughs> we always love bad shows man we always love a good oh yeah show. no no i i it's it's coming all it's all coming back to me now uh, <laughs> i think the worst the worst show that i ever played with iron cross we'd been on tour in texas for about a week and and most of the shows were were packed that, that was on the tour that i think we played we played a, a big old warehouse in san antonio and some uh there was two there was a gang from Houston and a gang from San Antonio that had met up at our show to like <laughs> oh, wow. to beef and, and fight. This was coming off of that. And like people, the cops like literally bust down the door and say, stop playing. And you know, these, these dudes are just kicking the shit out of each other. And some people got stabbed outside. And oh, wow. it was just, it was totally wild. And then a couple nights later, we're in Corpus Christi, Texas, which is, uh, I mean, it was like a ghost town, man. It was, it was like, you know, really a lot of poverty and, and it, you know, you, there was no one on the street and it was, it was just a really weird place. And the play, the place we were playing was an all ages venue with no air conditioning and, and no bar. Um, <laughs> so what we did was we went next door to the, the bar that was next door. It was called the Rose nightclub and it, and it was a gay bar. Here we had this group of uh, the dudes we were on tour with. We we're all kind of big, scary looking guys with like, tattoos and combat boots and and uh coming into the skate bar and drinking and and we ended up having a, a really lovely time with with these locals down there <laughs> and we sang karaoke with them and it was it was it was really a warm moment it was lots of fun and then 
And then we had to go back next door and play the show <laughs> that we were there to play. <laughs> and by that time, we were all wasted drunk. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, these guys, these guys were very used to playing drunk and playing on, on drugs. But this was this was a next level kind of drunk. This was like <laughs> the kind of drunk you don't get before a show. And we just really just stumbled through the set. It was hotter than hell. There was maybe there was maybe eight kids there to see us and. Yeah. So highs and lows, you know. Yeah. I, have I mentioned I have bipolar? Yeah. <laughs> Iron cross induced. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't help. <laughs> yeah, and I I also just want to mention before we move off of the Iron Cross topic that I think because of the name Iron Cross and the in the uh the sort of imagery of the of the band that they all often get mistaken as a a fascist or a far right band. And uh, they're totally not. The lead singer is a, a Jewish leftist. So um, they're, they're just a hardcore band, apolitical, basically. I was just thinking okay. motorcycle club. Every time I think about Iron Cross, I always think about motorcycles. Right. He was also into motorcycles yeah. too. Yeah. So I went the wrong way, I guess. Yeah. Actually, still, still a good friend of mine, Sab Gray of, of the band Iron Cross is a good dude. And I know both he and I have both grown a lot since those. Uh, those years so you mentioned that the kind of during that process with iron cross writing songs that ended up being played were you writing before that or was that kind of starting the process of you getting into writing that led into once you were out of that group um leading you to kind of seek your own thing yeah um well i'd always liked writing uh in school i i, I liked writing essays and and short stories and poetry and um, I guess I tried my hand at songs too as a younger kid, but never really seriously. And, and I never really came up with anything that I thought was very good. And then I spent a lot of years playing other people's songs. And, and the songs that we did play of mine and Iron Cross were songs that I brought over from my teenage Louisville, uh, Louisville punk band called Straight Laced. And so I brought a couple of songs over from, from that band and they sort of, you know, made them fit their their style, and obviously the lead singer was singing them instead of me, and that was kind of lame. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and then it wasn't until after I was after I left that group really that I started uh, writing on my own. It, it kind of came around at this period where I got real, real depressed for a while and like real bad with alcohol for a while, and. You know, I went into recovery uh, and like detox. I had to actually like detox from mm-hmm. alcohol with, the, you know, the shakes and the DTs and stuff like that. Oh. And during that process, I was doing a lot of writing about my alcoholism, which is part of usually part of recovery is like, you know, looking at what went wrong and looking at the behaviors and the and the patterns and and then trying to make amends from that and, and live in a better way. And so I guess just as a result of all that stuff and, you know, the things that I had been drinking about mm. heartbreak and uh, the world being a, a an unfair place. And I just kind of took all that and I ended up writing 13 songs and putting them on. I went I went and recorded a, a record with a guy named Jeff Carpenter, who's a great dude, great engineer uh, in Louisville in his home studio in his basement. And I, I recorded all 13 of those songs and, and put them out myself. And, and that was that, I, that was 2010. Did writing that, those 13 songs, and I guess maybe even the writing process, when you get into those valleys, uh, do they help kind of get you on the path to getting better? Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes, hmm. um, it's less um it's less objective oriented for me. It's more about how I th- I think um I remember it as a kid like when I was going through difficult things, I remember taking a lot of solace in music and in the connection between, you know, the the songwriter, the singer-songwriter and me like listening to and connecting with this this the song. And so I think that that connection and, and then also like I think it's important to talk about the difficult things in, in life and to sing about them and make art about them and, and be honest. Because I think that when 
when people who are struggling see someone else that that they can relate to in that struggle that that's really important for us in in healing and getting through those hard things so i guess i think music music writ large really is necessary for me in my maintaining of my mental health but i i don't know i guess like writing a song itself doesn't necessarily feel therapeutic to me all the time because sometimes i'm just putting i mean i guess it's long term it is therapeutic but in the moment it doesn't like make me feel better necessarily. Mm-hmm. There you go. That makes sense. That does make sense. Sounds like you have your guitar in your lap right now. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying not to be too loud here. I'm just kind of like compulsively tuning in case you guys do ask me to play a song. Well, yeah, that's just what I was thinking. I mean, I, we've never uh, tried this remotely, but how do you feel about that? We'll see how it comes across on this uh, internet connection. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, this is a song called Easy Rider. And um, I'm very happy today because the masters of my uh, new solo record just came back and they sound pretty. I'm very excited about the recordings and excited about the record. Awesome. Cool. And uh, I'm sure we can talk more about that, more about that uh, after the song. But this is the the lead track uh, of the record. Okay. It's called Easy Rider. I'm your real 
rider Your precious cargo is safe with me Yes, I'm your easy rider And our troubles, baby, will fade with ease If we let them So don't worry, mama I drive Man, that That's is beautiful. Beautiful. Holy crap. That was unbelievable. Thank you guys. I want the record. That is I hope it sounded good on your end. It was awesome. Because I did forget to press record. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We'll take what we got because that was yeah, we'll see how beautiful. It, we'll see how it comes uh, comes across. Gosh. Beautiful, man. <laughs> this is uh from the album Forever Home that is to be released hopefully very soon. Okay. No release date on it yet? Well, uh, it just is finally finished today. Today, uh, today, you actually got the finalized version today. Today, today, yeah. It's called Forever Home? Yeah, Forever Home. My friend Shelly Anderson uh, of Black Lab Mastering just mastered it. She's an incredible mastering engineer and also sometimes my bandmate. (laughs) Okay. Um, Even better. uh, Yeah, so we just just heard the masters, the producer and I. The producer is a fella named Ken Coomer, um, who I've been a fan of for over a decade now. Um, he was the drummer in, in the bands, uh, uncle Tupelo and, and Wilco. Oh, wow. And, um, he and I met last year, late last year in 2019. And we struck up a conversation and, and he invited me to come and make a record in Nashville with, with, uh, with him and with, um, some, some folks of his, uh, who are incredible players. So I went down there, um, in March, uh, early March of this year. And we got through one day of recording, which, you know, we got one good song out of that whole day. I think it it was a very strange experience for me because I basically just walked in. I didn't know anybody. And, uh, they were like, okay, play your song. So I just played them all live in front of a, in front of a microphone. Okay. I was very nervous. (laughs) Really? And, uh, and this was in Nashville, you said? Yeah. And, and then that night after the, uh, after the session, the tornado hit Nashville and oh. destroyed a lot of the na- the neighborhood where the studio was. Uh, the studio was unharmed, but uh, you know they lost power for a few days. A lot of the a lot of the neighborhood was destroyed, and some people lost their lives. And it was a really mm. horrible, traumatic time for Nashville and East Nashville, especially. And uh, and then we planned to do it a month later. You know, give give people a time chance to clean up and. And then the and then COVID hit, so we decided that that we probably shouldn't be traveling and putting a bunch of people in a small room together. So that got put on hold. First the tornado, and then COVID, and then finally uh, in June, you know, we all got tested and and masked up and and went into the studio and and made this record in our in our masks <laughs> with our our very very clean hands from sanitizing constantly. <laughs> um, and it was a it was a really spiritual experience, I think, for for me and and for the other people involved, Ken uh, Coomer and the engineer uh, Jeff, uh, who's a uh, also a really great engineer. Um, can't remember his last name right now, but uh, it was the first music that any of us had worked on since quarantine. And, you know, in this brand new, scary world, and you know, the record is very much about love. It's like a it's a love record it was a really kind of healing and spiritual kind of thing for us to all be working on this record while, while the, while the world outside is so scary and tense mm. right now. So is the, is the record primarily you and a guitar acoustic guitar? Uh, no, there, there are a couple of songs that are just me live in a room with a guitar. And most of the, most of the stuff on the record is live. Um, but after those, after that first, the first day was to get that stuff. And there are two record, two songs on there that are mostly just me and, and a guitar. Although there are some strings and, and some, some nice, uh, instrumentation. We did some live tracks in studio with me in an, in an ISO booth. And then Ken on the drums and, uh, Teddy Pecchio 
uh, incredible bass player. Plays in Tedeschi Trucks band and, oh, and wow. plays uh, with a lot of a lot of people in in Nashville. And absolutely incredible bass player. And so they they kind of tricked me, man. Um, Teddy came in and he was nailing the songs and th- he had a great vibe with Ken on the drums and Ken is in- an incredible drummer. I've always loved his drum sounds and they were recording me live in an ISO booth. But generally when that's done in a studio, that's called a ghost track, uh-huh. um, which you have no intention of, 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 of that being making it onto the album. It's just, it's a, basically a guide for the drummer and the bass player yeah. so you can record the drums and the bass and have a reference point for what's happening in the song. So we do all these tracks live. They're sounding incredible. And I'm just, I'm just in there just playing, just kind of like really grooving and getting into it with these guys and like enjoying playing with a band and a really incredible band at that for the first time in so many months. So they pulled a switcheroo on me and we ended up using a lot of the ghost tracks on the final version of the record because they were just, uh, you know, I was ready to go and, and do overdubs and, and do take after take to really get it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to really get it, which is usually how I work in a studio. I like to do, you know, six or seven takes and then comp together. And, and you know, uh, that's how I've done things because I'm very much a perfectionist and I, and I tend to overthink things. And, and this experience was just so different because <laughs> we were doing all these live takes and and they they're listening back to these ghost tracks and be like, no, this is it. This is the track. <laughs> like, it's so, you know, it was it was raw and vulnerable, and it was like, and it turned out great. Well, and, and I had to ultimately get get out of my own way and and let it happen. You know, yeah. You mm-hmm. said you're really happy with what you heard today, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's a there's an energy level in the room during the performance when that you can't replicate when you come in and and redo vocals and redo everything you just can't so if you can nail it and even in a certain you don't have to nail it that energy and the presence and the and everything the intensity of the performance because probably what you said nobody's seen each other and getting together with everybody for the first time in months and feeling that uh, intensity and energy in the room there's probably no replacing that everything you just talked about just compounds he hadn't played live for a while he's with excellent musicians he's He's feeling good. He's having fun. He's in the isolation booth just playing with some outstanding people that he gets along with and mm-hmm. everything just it just starts building a mountain. Yeah, man. It, and you're absolutely right about that. There's a there's a certain kind of magic that happens only live that that you really can't you can't replicate that if you're going and tracking, you know, everything one piece at a time and and overthinking and you know, I mean, really, you know, w- what they forced me to do was to to get out of my own way and feel the music as opposed to like thinking about the music, mm. you know. And I think that that really ultimately um, made a, a much better record, <laughs> a better listening experience. I can't wait. How many uh, tracks do you have on this one? Ten songs. With the COVID thing, how how is that going to change? You know, what's your what's your strategy for releasing and promoting and. Well, luckily, I don't have to think about all that stuff right now because what what happens now is um, that we go and I don't I don't have a record label right now um, for my solo project. So Ken is going to take the record and and go and talk to some some people in the music industry and see if, see if he can get a record label interested in, oh, in okay. putting it out. We'll see what happens with that. And you know, I, I kind of always expected that I'd be putting out my own work at this stage um which i'm still very prepared to do and if i do that i'll come up with some kind of <laughs> way to do it but hopefully the the idea is that it won't be too much longer until <laughs> we can i guess every, we've, we've been feeling that way for almost half a year now that it won't be too much longer oh, yeah. before we can go back to <laughs> yeah, we feel lives, like it's but, getting back to normal yeah shut it, the other way. shut it down again man yeah <laughs> well you know i was supposed to be on tour and in Europe, uh, back in July and, uh, August. And that of course was canceled. And, or what, what month is it now? What what am I talking about? I was supposed to be in back in, in the Netherlands on tour back in the spring of this year. And that got pushed to to January. So I guess if I'm on a podcast now, I should say, Hey, if you're listening in Europe, go, go buy tickets to one of my shows in Europe (laughs) in January, January. but they're also still not letting us travel over there right now. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much, so many Uh, uh, questions, man, so many wrenches in that, 
<clears throat> plan right now. Who 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 knows? Hopefully January's normal. Twenty twenty one, man. New year, new new thing, hopefully. Over in, in Europe they're kinda starting to starting to get back to being able to see live music mm-hmm. with some precautions in place and you know, yeah, we still have a we still have a travel ban right now, guys. We yeah. we can't leave the country right now. We're not allowed. Yeah, I don't know if anybody wants us. I don't think they do right I mean, now. Seriously. Yeah, we're kind of like the kid, that sick kid that everyone wants to stay home. You know, I I I, I completely get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a uh, another song coming up off this track, this record? You want to play for us? Please, please, sure. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm actually going to play a, a different song that's not on Forever Home. I'm going to play a song that I just wrote uh, on Tuesday. Today's Thursday, August 20th. Hell yeah. And uh, I, I just joined a songwriting group uh, that meets on Zoom every week. Nice. Every week we have... Um, so what does that look like? Yeah, so what does... What, what happens when you guys get together? <laughs> well... Um, Usually somebody has a cocktail in front of them. I'm not much of a drinker myself, but usually there's some, you know, some imbibing and uh, we, and we, we've all recorded or demoed uh, a song for the week based on the prompt, whatever that prompt happened to be the week before. And then we all share it and listen to it at the same time together and and go over the lyrics and give each other feedback and, and, and praise, which is nice. So what's an example of a prompt? Is it a, uh... (laughs) well, I'll give you the example of, of this this song that I'm going to play for you guys, the prompt was to use overheard words, to use something that was overheard, and to write a song based around those words. Well, this could be entertaining. And uh, so I wrote two. I actually wrote I actually wrote three songs this week. I'm not trying to brag. It's That's awesome. a very fruitful time for me. But uh, <laughs> but uh, two of the songs I wrote were for the prompt. One one I wrote off of stuff that my daughter had said. She's five, and she it's she's either speaking poetry or she's talking about cats pooping. <laughs> in between at this point but uh the first one i wrote was of stuff that she gave me and th- and then i ended up writing a second one after that because people keep saying when all of this is over hmm. and uh, it's something that i that i keep hearing and we were of course we were just talking about you know that and it's something that's very much in all of our minds and perfect something i'm i'm really i'm really tired of hearing it because <laughs> nobody knows you know and there's just you know, if there's one thing that COVID has done for us, it's it's made us get really comfortable with, with uncertainty and like accepting that we don't know what the hell is going to happen <laughs> and trying to live from that place of living today and just doing our best. And so uh, this is a song uh, that I wrote based on this uh, thing that I keep hearing everywhere on the Internet and on the phone with friends it, is when all of this is over. All of this is over In some softly field of clover We can gaze into each other's eyes again But the damned thing is on the rise again When all of this has passed Finally share a glass and just one cigarette I know I won't forget How lucky we are How lucky How lucky we are to be orbiting the star. When all of this is over, on some evening partly sober, though there are obstacles, I know there are, my dear. We've got to love each other better than we ever have At least that much is clear
How lucky we are How lucky we are How lucky we are To be orbiting this particular star From this particular distance I'm letting go of all Yeah, man. So you awesome. just wrote that song, huh? Yeah, on Tuesday uh, over in uh, Joe Creason Park, one of the beautiful parks in, in Louisville, Kentucky. How do you how do you find a songwriter group? How do you get? Well, they found me. Luckily, <laughs> a friend of mine was a member. They started, I guess, during quarantine, and they they did one season, I guess, and and they decided to do, to do a second season, and I was invited to to join at that point. Oh, awesome. So someone comes up with a prompt, everyone writes songs, then what what happens? Yeah, um, so we all send in our recordings to a Google Drive folder, and then when someone shares their screen on Zoom, it also shares the audio. So we play, that, that person then plays the audio, and, and we all listen to it in real time together. Oh, cool. You know, and often we chat, uh, you know, via text in, in the chat section and give each other, you know, virtual high fives and say things that we like about, <laughs> the other person's work and it's very nice to have you know I, i've discovered that i um uh, i work really well with a deadline and an audience that's going to give me like criticism and feedback mm. and a prompt yes yeah, so tell me what to write and and tell me it has to be written by now, then and and then i have no choice i have no choice but to write the song mm. <laughs> so it really removes all those obstacles of overthinking and well, you know, somebody's really going to, you know, someone's really going to hear it, really going to listen to it. Yeah. And these are, yeah. it's not just going to sit in your <laughs> right. notebook. And these are, these are, of course, these are musicians that I really respect and, and admire. And to a certain extent that I want to impress them, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, all that is super motivating and it, it's really great to feel seen and heard in that way by, by peers and get that kind of real time feedback. I'm really grateful for it. So our listeners that want to follow Shadwick Wild, where where do they go to do that? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Shadwick Wild, Twitter at Shadwick Wild. That's S-H-A-D-W-I-C-K. And then Wild is spelled W-I-L-D-E. Uh, people seem to have some trouble with that name, although it is an English name. It is in from the country of England. Um, <laughs> although I'm I'm not. I'm Dutch and Irish, so I don't know how that how that comes to be. But. It's allowed. And then I'm on, you know, YouTube and and Spotify and and all the all the music streaming services. Most of my most of my material is is uh, with the band Quiet Hollers, um, but I also have some solo material. We never there. even got to Quiet Hollers. I mean, not that that's not a gigantic deal uh, or anything, yeah. but you know, it's not a gigantic deal, definitely, but. I always heard the surnames were developed like, you know, once once the village got too big for everybody to be known by their first name, you know, if you were short, we'd call you Neil Short. <laughs> if somebody had a mm -hmm. That's light exactly complexion, right. we'd say Brad White. So Shadwick's family, they just said, hell, let's just call them wild. Oh, no, those guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's why there's so many, uh, you know, Millers and Porters and... Oh. And carpenters, yeah, because you know they're like the, you know John the carpenter. What, what's a Johnson? <laughs> Man, will you, will you play us one coming out on this new record to take us out for the for the day? Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll play you one of these. So before you go into this, we're going to play out on this song. So we just want to uh, thank you for being on Top Hill Recording Podcast. Man, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a real uh, it's been a real pleasure. And listeners, we'll see you guys next week. So what are we going to hear going out, Shadwick? Uh, let's see. This is a song called Gardener's Blues. Gardener's Blues. And this is uh, this will be on my new record, Forever Home, whenever that comes out. Sweet. We don't know yet.
Hid from the ivy Stung by the bees I spent the whole summer Down on my knees Spade in my hand And hard on my sleeve I spent the whole summer Thank you. Nice. Yep. Thanks for having me. It was, a, it was a real pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Yep, yeah, I, was, I did too. Hey, thank you, Shadow. 